So this week, we will be continuing our We Believe series. Last week, we took a look at the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We saw how God encourages us to pray for those things, that our hearts might be softened and, uh, and that we might love each other well and that God's kingdom would come to our hearts, to the hearts of our neighbors, and ultimately, in finality, in eternity. Today, we'll be looking at the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Our text this morning will be James chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 16 to 18. James is a, is a small book in the New Testament. It comes right after the book of Hebrews in our Bibles. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to James now. There, there should be a, a Bible on the back of the pew in front of you, uh, if, if that's how you'd prefer. But the words will also be on the screens beside me, and I encourage you to follow along as we read the word of the Lord this morning. James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. My first year at seminary was not an easy one financially. Karen and I had saved up as much as we could before we left uh, Calgary, Alberta, where I had been working as a youth and young adult director for one of our Lutheran Brethren churches. Uh, and that, that's where I'd been before I'd felt the call to seminary. On our way from Calgary down to Minnesota, our van broke down, and most of our savings went into the new transmission that was needed. We'd been given some other gifts along the way, but we showed up in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, with no real job prospects, a house to rent, and four little mouths to feed. We've added a few since then, but it was four at that point in time. What we had left wasn't going to make it through the year and might possibly, maybe, hopefully, make it to Christmas. If I could figure out some way to earn some money while also being a father, parent, and a full-time student. I was able to find some preaching gigs. They were inconsistent, but they helped. And in November, Karen was able to, to find work at, at Hillcrest as a, as a dean in the girls' dorm. Hillcrest didn't pay that much, and by the time she was working, we had gone through most of what we had left in the bank. And then it was Christmas time, and our family was missing us, and we were missing them. We were finally back in the States and not working at a church, so there was the possibility of returning home to celebrate. We told the family that it would be really rough. It was going to be really rough for us to figure out how to make that drive from Minnesota to Washington State in our current financial situation. So some arrangements were made, and we decided to make the trip. But while we were there in Washington, it turned out that the arrangements ended up falling through. And so once Christmas had been celebrated, Karen and I began the long drive home, having no idea how we were going to make it through the next few months. We'd spent the last of our excess on gas. What had seemed like a safe move turned out not to be. What were we going to do? 
How are we going to make it? Her, her job didn't pay enough, and I couldn't find a job that allowed our family to function and for us to still meet the purposes of our being in that cold little Minnesota town. So, from the rest of, uh, so far from the rest of our family, I, I was supposed to be putting the majority of my time into seminary, not, not a job, not work. So what's going on, right? What, what happens now, God? What do we do now? Where, God, where is my daily bread? Daily bread. What does Jesus mean when he instructs us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Is he strictly talking about flour and yeast, salt and water mixed together to develop gluten and then allowed to rise for a certain amount of time before it's shaped into loaves and baked in an oven? Is he strictly strictly referencing bread here? No. No, what is meant by daily bread is this in this prayer is everything required to satisfy our bodily needs, such as food and clothing, houses and, and home, money and property, children that obey, and parents that do not stress or exasperate their children, good, just, and fair leaders, true friends, good neighbors, things, things like that. It is not Jesus' intent that those of us with gluten intolerances be left out of this particular line in the prayer, right? It's an, it's an umbrella statement meant to encompass the things that we need and even some of the things that we want. In this statement of the Lord's Prayer, God is encouraging us to ask for things that meet our physical and emotional needs. God knows that we need things. He knows that we need food and shelter. He knows that we need friends and a place to belong. He knows that we need good teachers and leaders. He knows that we need help. Which makes it all the harder when it doesn't feel like our physical or emotional needs are being met. Where is the help, God? Where is my daily bread? Driving back from Washington, from Washington State. I cannot talk today. My mouth is so dry. Oh, my goodness. So if I'm, like, stumbling over lines, like, forgive me. I'm sorry. But driving back from Washington State, that was the question. I was exhausted. I, I, I was stressed out. I was in the middle of Montana. And there's nothing to see in eastern Montana. And I had North Dakota coming up. And if you've ever driven through North Dakota, you know that there really isn't much to see there either. So being distracted by looking at things was off the table. I only had to sit there in my fear and in my concern in feeling like a failure towards my family. We thought that we were doing the right thing. We thought going to seminary was the right thing. We had gone home to Washington with a plan for how we would afford it, and all the plans blew up with the transmission in our van and the arrangements that fell through. Where's my daily bread? Where do we go from here? I don't know where you were at in your, your walk of life, your walk with the Lord this morning. Do you find yourself asking the same questions sometimes? Where's my daily bread, God? Where's your hand of provision for me? You've told me to ask for it. And sometimes that feels like a cruel joke because I'm struggling to see how you were answering that prayer for me as I sit in my struggles. I got some daily bread coming right now. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. And ultimately, as we work through those issues, as we work through those hardships, 
we end up at a different question. It's related. It's along the same lines. But ultimately, we end up wondering, do we trust God to provide what we need? Do we trust him as the giver of bread? Do we trust that he knows our needs? Do we trust that he cares about them? Do we trust that he can do anything about them? And those questions ultimately become bigger questions, don't they? Questions like, if I can't trust him to take care of my physical and emotional needs, can I trust him to take care of my spiritual needs? If I can't trust him to take care of what is seen, can I trust him to take care of what is unseen? I've, I've heard the stories of how he healed the sick and how he fed the thousands. I've, I've read the stories about how he cast out the demons and blessed Simon Peter with boatloads of fish. I'm aware of how Jesus, how, how God has provided physically, but I'm struggling to see how he's doing that in my life. I'm struggling to see where my daily bread is, so I'm struggling to trust that he can provide it. Struggling to trust that he can provide it physically, and I'm struggling to trust that he can provide it spiritually. And it is because of that struggling that we pray this prayer. I love the way it is put in the explanation of Luther's small catechism, our red book of doctrine. The book asks the question, what is meant by Give us this day our daily bread. And the answer states, God truly does give daily bread to all, even the wicked, without our prayer. But we pray this petition that he would make us aware that these gifts come from him as a gift and enable us to receive these gifts with thanksgiving. We know that God gives gifts to everyone. Whether they are believers or not, whether they have asked for them or not, we know this because here in the book of James, our passage this morning tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good thing that we are given, our jobs, our food, our cars, our family, right, our, our friends, that, that long list that we went through earlier, all of the good things we have received in our lives are from the Lord. And we know that it's not just Christians that get them, right? God gives daily bread to, to all people, whether they ask or not, whether they believe or not, daily bread is given. And so in this prayer, we pray that God would continue to be at work in our hearts that we might see, might be aware of what he has given and that we would receive what he gives to us with thanksgiving. The explanation of the catechism continues by putting it this way. Jesus teaches me to pray for daily bread because he wants me to learn to be content with what he gives me each day and not to worry about the future. We tend to think that the issue with our daily bread is that we haven't received any. But how often is our struggle not with a lack of gift, but with what we've been given? My wife makes amazing food. She's not here, and I'm, I'm still saying that, because it's true. The food that is put on our table is, is good, like, like real good. But it doesn't matter how tasty the soup, how juicy the roast. It doesn't matter if the gravy is the perfect flavor and thickness. It doesn't matter if mashed potatoes are creamy with just the right amount of, of salt and pepper 
Doesn't matter if the chicken was fried just right and the flavors are mixing with the rice in the perfect ways. It doesn't matter. Unless the meal is pancakes, for some reason, everybody loves pancakes. But if it's not pancakes, there is going to be someone at our table, one of us, that doesn't like something about the meal. It's just going to happen. There is going to be one of our boys that just decides this meal isn't for him. Doesn't meet his expectations in some way. And he'll sit and be hurt because mom gave him something that didn't meet his perceived needs. Now maybe that's an unfair illustration. I know that there's a difference between receiving a pink slip or, or being laid off or having to work with that individual that drives you crazy or financially or, or finally getting the job you wanted only find out that it's not what you thought it was and now you're miserable. Or when your kids are friends with that annoying kid and now he or she is at your house like all the time. Like I know that there is a difference between those things and getting a heaping dose of mom's mashed potatoes plopped onto your plate. But I think the illustration works to help us see that we have been given things. We just don't always like what we've been given. And when we pray this prayer, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are asking God to be at work in our hearts that we might see what he has given and that we might be thankful for it. For God is not unaware of our needs. He is not unaware of how you are struggling. He has known of your struggles before you did. He has known of your physical and your spiritual struggles before you had any idea that they existed. And he's got bread for you. We pulled into our driveway in Fergus Falls after that long trip back from from Washington State. We unloaded the van in, in the cold winter afternoon and then sat on the couch, unsure of, of what came next. I had school the next day. And in three days, I was supposed to leave for Chad, Africa on a trip with some other seminarians. H- how are we going to make it? Sometimes when you're not sure what to do, routine is helpful. So I pulled my jacket back on and, and headed out into the winter day to pick up the mail. In our mailbox was sitting a letter. According to the timestamp, it had been delivered the day that we left. I just had been too busy packing to check the mail. It was from one of the elders in the church in Canada that we had just left. Now, I didn't know Mark that well. We'd gotten closer in the final months of my time there. He was a businessman and and was often traveling. And he had some health issues, and so he wasn't able to be around maybe as much as he would have liked to have been. The letter was from Mark. And inside the the letter was was a check for enough money that my continued sporadic preaching schedule and Karen's working at the dorm at Hillcrest, between those two things, we could comfortably make it until summer. And he'd made it out in American. It could have been a check in Canadian money, it would have been awesome, but that he made it out in American funds, that we didn't lose anything in the exchange rate, I, I couldn't believe it. And that letter had been sitting there the whole time we'd been gone. We had no idea of the financial burden that we were about to be put under. We thought we'd made arrangements. We knew it was going to be tight. We we knew that we were going to run out in February or March anyway, and and something was going to have to change or or happen. but, But we had made arrangements so we could cross that bridge when we came to it. The whole time, this letter was sitting in my mailbox just waiting for me to open it, just waiting to bestow its blessings upon me and my family. 
I don't know what your needs are. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but I do know that our God does. He knows our problems, our needs, before we do. And he has provided for those needs before we even asked. Is there any bigger letter in a mailbox than Jesus Christ? Not a sentence you expect to hear or say, but I think it fits. I think it fits. God knew of our sinfulness before we were born. From the time that sin entered the world, God put that letter in the mailbox. In Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, we have God's plan for how he will reconcile us unto himself, for how he will deal with the sin issues that keep us from him. And man, for much of our lives, some of us may have not even realized our need. Maybe we grew up in the church, maybe we didn't, but, but there have been times where each of us have thought, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I've made arrangements. I've been living a moral life. I've, I've been a good person. I've read my Bible every day or most days, a lot of times. I've read my Bible like a lot of times. I go to church when the doors are open. I tithe appropriately. I'm, I'm a good man. I'm, I'm a good woman. I've, I've made arrangements. But here's the deal. Those arrangements, those good works, following the law, following good and moral code, in that way we'll, we'll do nothing to meet our actual needs. We may think we're doing a good job, but we're actually, we're actually already dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And God knows this. And so he sent a letter. He sent his son. He sent Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived with us. He, he taught us. He laughed with us and he cried with us. He healed the sick. He, he fed the hungry. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. And yet he was still betrayed and he was convicted of truths that the world believed to be lies. And so they sentenced him to death and he walked up a hill carrying a heavy wooden cross over his shoulders. And with that cross he carried the sins of the world. He carried all the times that we thought we were doing good. He carried all the arrangements that we've made. He carried all the hurt we've done each other. He carried all the hurt that we've done to ourselves. He carried every sin, and there on the cross, as the nails went through his hands and his feet, and he was lifted up in his naked vulnerability. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ became sin for us. Our sin was imputed to him, given to him as if it were his Though he was blameless and sinless, he took our sin, and there on the cross, he paid the price for it. He suffered for it, and he died for it. But three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, then we are opening the mailbox of the gift that God has for us. The gift that has been sitting there waiting for us to open. The gift that was sent to us before we even knew that we needed it. The gift that has been given. But this gift doesn't just bring comfort for six months. This gift is eternal. It is everlasting. Our faith in Christ, the gift of Jesus' righteousness, which we receive in faith, the gift of being reconciled with the Father, the gift of being brought into his family, will not fade. It doesn't come with qualifications. It isn't something that we earned. It isn't something that we deserved. It is something that we are given. The only way to lose out on this gift is if we return it. And God does give us the ability to do that. He gives us 
the free will to say no. He gives us the ability to walk away, to open the mailbox, receive the gift for a time, and then to leave it, to put it back. But though he opens that door, or leaves that door open, rather, it is not his desire for us. For God teaches us to pray in such a way that our hearts would recognize his gifts to us and we would receive them well. As I pondered the story of Mark in the letter that was waiting for us, I know that in our own ways, in our own time, we can relate to the need that Karen and I had at that time in our lives. Sometimes we're in places where we do not have the ability to provide for ourselves in the ways that we want to, in the ways that we feel responsible to. Which leads me to ask the question, where are the marks? How many of us are called to be Mark? Again, Mark and I weren't super close. We, we hadn't really, or we had really just started getting closer after I had told the church that I was going to be leaving to attend seminary. I'm not very good at, at sending update letters. I didn't let the people from Peace and in Calgary know that Karen and I were in a financial bind. They knew that the van broke down, but that was about as far as it went. And yet Mark, despite not knowing, felt a nudge of the Lord to help a young seminary family. And he sent with great generosity. I'm not saying that you need to go and look up the names of seminarians and send them money, though you might give some future pastor a pretty potent sermon illustration if you choose to go that route. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that God has given you what you have. All that you have are gifts. All that you have are gifts from the Father. And the Father loves it when we give out of the abundance of what He has given to us. Sometimes that will be to others, even though they may not have earned it and may not deserve it. The Bible is full of verses. Mario read one this morning that tells us that God calls us to give to those that do not have to provide daily bread for those that have none. And in this way, God is blessing you with being the one that he uses to give daily bread to someone who is without. It's still God giving the bread. You're just the vehicle through which the gift is given. And man, that's a blessing. It's fantastic. It's awesome to be used by God in that way. And God calls us to give to his ministries as well, doesn't he? It's one of the ways that he calls us to join him in his mission to give to the church an offering to the Lord. Now, you guys know I'm not real big, on, or those that, that know me, those that have sat underneath me for a while, know that I'm not real big on preaching on tithing. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable to ask people to give to the church because I feel like I'm shilling for my dinner. And there's just a bad taste in my mouth when I hear pastors asking for money. That said... We all know that the tithes here to Calvary, Cal Calvary aren't going to a private jet or a new car. The tithes that you give to Calvary keep the lights on. Yes, they also feed me and my family and allow us to save while also spending money on fun things like vacations. Your tithes also support our youth leader, Adriana, giving her some measure of compensation for the hours that she invests into our youth. The tithes help us keep our building maintained and up to code. They help cover, cover damages from weather and a, and a building that is getting older. 
The tithes you give to Calvary also help us to do outreach. They paid for the screen, projector, and cotton candy maker we use for our movie nights. They pay for flyers and advertising. They pay for the shirts that we got made. They, they made it so that we didn't have to charge for vacation Bible school and could invite all of the community to freely come and do crafts and eat snacks and sing songs and be taught the word of God. Your tithes enable us to join Jesus on his mission this past year, we brought in a little over 100,000 in tithes. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not yelling. I'm not mad. But the reality is that that is not enough daily bread to enable us to do what we have been called as a church to do. I don't know what you give. As far as I'm concerned, that's between you and the Lord. I, I am not a pastor that gets into the financials. And, and I understand that a 10% tithe is, is a hard thing for all of us sometimes. I, I don't know what God has called you to give what he has put on your heart to give. There, there are a lot of things where it is my place to know as the pastor, and there are things that it's, it's not, and, and I'm okay with that. I love that. But ultimately, it is God that has called you to this church, and it is God who has called this church into mission. In what ways will you use the gifts that he has given you, the excess that he has given you to give daily bread to this church that we might continue in the mission that God has called us to together? You guys, it's going to be an awesome year here at Calvary. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in and through this church this year. I'm pumped about the outreach. I'm pumped about getting to know each of you better. I'm pumped about celebrating the days of the church calendar. I'm pumped about so many little things. I'm just so excited to see God at work in his people. So thank you, Calvary, for being a church that is sent. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. Thank you for supporting our church and the mission and ministries that God has called her to. I never got to thank Mark. Not really. Not in person. He died of cancer before I graduated seminary and before I was able to get back up to Canada for another visit. But one day... One day I will get to thank him in heaven as we rejoice and praise our God forever in eternity. And church, one day we too will celebrate together for eternity all of the daily bread that our Lord has given us. What a fantastic, gracious, generous, wonderful, and just God we serve. Amen.